Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. It's the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm your host, your guy, Dan Harris. Hey, hey, we've got a great conversation for you today. I'm not exaggerating. I loved this conversation. You're going to hear from a guy who quite recently experienced a bitter and very public defeat and is handling it with an enormous amount of grace in ways that can be instructive to pretty much all of us, I think. I'll admit here that I'm biased. This guy is a friend. His name is Tim Ryan. For 20 years, he was a Democratic congressman from Ohio, and then he ran for Senate and lost to his Republican opponent, J.D. Vance. Tim and I became friends many years ago. In fact, he's been on this show before. We met not through my job as a journalist, but through meditation circles. Tim was probably the only big-time Washington politician who was openly practicing and promoting meditation. In fact, he wrote a whole book on the power of mindfulness called Healing America, and he has a special talent for talking about the benefits of the practice in an utterly unaffected and down-to-earth way. In this conversation, we talked about how his practice helped him weather a brutal and, like I said, very public campaign, why he has joined the ice bath craze, the link between breath work and meditation, how he is adjusting to civilian life after 20 years in Washington, how he handled things when he realized the race was not going to go his way, and what he was thinking and feeling when he made his concession speech. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You'll always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases and next listen recommendations for every type of thriller listener. The selection over on Audible when it comes to true crime, mystery, and thriller is um, quite extensive. They've got John Grisham, tons of stuff by Stephen King, David Baldacci. My favorite that I've checked out recently in the crime fiction genre is called Age of Vice. It's by Deepti Kapoor. It came out uh, not long ago. Not only is it thrilling and uh, very, very plotty, but it's also written incredibly well. It's truly literature. Deep Kapoor is a, a force of nature as a writer. Age of Vice, it takes you into the uh, underworld in New Delhi in India. I absolutely love that one. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. The Taste the Mediterranean sales event is going on now through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. It's a store-wide event packed with flavor. My family and I are regulars at Whole Foods Market. We've got one, I think, less than a mile and a half away from our house. This Taste the Mediterranean thing sounds pretty cool. Uh, They've got Mediterranean-inspired flavors. You can save on Parmigiano-Reggiano, charcuterie, and ground lamb. 
They've got delectable seafood choices. You can save on whole branzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon, which is a regular feature at our dinners in this house. My son loves that salmon from Whole Foods. And I'd be remiss if I didn't point out all of the uh, 365 by Whole Foods Market products. Stock up on Wallet Happy Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat pita pockets, and more. I am constantly uh, consuming these 365 products, including the, the raw cashews, which I snack on all the time. We love the 365 sea salt and pepper. Uh, we love their sushi rice. You get the picture. Go check it out. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. I always love it when uh, the people behind a product that my family already uses tell us that they want to be sponsors of this show. Today, it's Tidy Cats. As you may know, we have uh, an unreasonable amount of cats, four of them. So we use a lot of kitty litter, and Tidy Cats is great. Uh, they have a product called Tidy Care Alert, which uses color-changing crystals to detect potential concerns and help you put your mind at ease. Let Tidy Care Alert help keep an eye on your cat's health. Whether you have one or four cats, they make it easy to keep track. Plus, it's low dust and lightweight with long-lasting ammonia control from the brand most often recommended and personally used by veterinarians. I'm not a vet, but I do love cats. Tidy Cats. Check them out. Tim Ryan, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, man. Nice to see you. Yeah, it's been a while. It's cool to do this in person. Yeah. So we all watched you go through a really tough, rough and tumble campaign. And I was wondering the whole time, how's he doing? You know, like, and is the meditation helpful? You seem like a happy warrior, but I don't know if you're a politician, <laughs> you can't always be totally real. Yeah. So does the meditation help? Can you meditate when you're on the campaign trail? Oh, uh, it was essential. A lot of breathing. Because you you know how when you try to sit and your mind's just going nuts and you don't have like 45 minutes to like sit and like clear out everything. So I, I got into like really deep breathing, a lot of the Wim Hof stuff, um, a lot of the Art of Living stuff, Sri Sri teaches. And that was really helpful because then five, six minutes of that, boom, drop right in. So I was able to do that pretty much almost every day. And then I would have like before I went to bed, it was always like get back in your body. And so it kind of worked. Well, I'm just going to be geeky and ask a few yeah. like technical questions yeah. here. So when you're talking about deep breathing, you mean you do five or six minutes of deep inhales and then exhales that are three times longer than the inhale? Yeah, I, I, would, am I, in the red zone? I would do that. I would do the four, seven, eight, like the Andrew Weil kind of in for four, hold for seven, out for eight. I would do that a lot. But then like the Wim Hof stuff was like in, out, deep for like 30 or 40 reps exhale, which I've never done this until I started doing the Wim Hof stuff, exhale and hold your breath. I've always been like an inhale for four, hold your breath for seven, out for eight. And for some reason, his is like exhale. And then you hit a clock and you like time, how long can you hold your breath for? I think part of it's like what they call you stressors or you are stressors where you're trying like to like- Good stress. Yeah, like you're just trying to prepare yourself for like worse shit to happen. <laughs> 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 so like you're getting yourself, right? It's like the ice bath, like it's really good for your body, but it's also good for your like dealing with fear of death <laughs> and freezing to death. So I would do that. That was really helpful. I mean, that put me in the zone like for pretty much the whole campaign and I'd sneak in a, a hot yoga here there. When you're running for Senate in Ohio, 
Do you like not want to see have anybody know or notice that you're doing a lot of deep breathing and hot yoga? I know you're, you're you've been out in yeah, public yeah. about yeah. your meditation habit for a while, but I imagine in a race like the one in which you were locked, you don't want to foreground that stuff. Yeah, not really. I mean, I wouldn't foreground like, hey, I do kettlebells. Hey, I do. You know, like people don't want to hear about you. You're there to talk about them and their needs and everything else. If people would ask me, I'd flat out tell them, you know, that I do it and it helps me. But then there were all almost at every event, somebody would come up and say, hey, I read your book or, hey, you know, I practice meditation. It was pretty cool. I mean, it's out there still, especially, you know, in Ohio, not to the extent we probably need it to be. But there are people out there that are interested in it. You talked about five or six minutes of this deep breathing. Would you then, if you had time, sit and do some traditional mindfulness meditation? Yeah, that was the beginning. And then I'd try to do 10 or 15 minutes, depending on the day. Like some days you could sit there for 20 minutes because you're in between events and there's nothing to do. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell anybody. I don't have anything to do right now. I'm going to like just be. So that really, to me, is preparing to drop in. You know, the breath is the preparation to drop. Hundred percent. I mean, I just honestly, like, I I don't really meditate anymore without some serious deep breathing beforehand. It just drops you in. I mean, I feel like it saves you. Like, you can meditate for forty five minutes. In my mind, and this is, I'm sure people be critical, but I feel like I could do five to six to seven minutes of really deep breathing and get like a ten minute meditation after that, and be like in the same spot I would be if I did a forty five minute meditation. This is interesting to me personally because I had a guest on a couple of years ago who was talking about deep breathing as a very complimentary practice, especially at the beginning of a mindfulness meditation session. Yeah. And I think he was talking about straw breathing. So okay. you breathe in as deeply as you can through your nose and you breathe out through your mouth, but as if you're breathing through a straw. Hmm. And so I do five, six, seven of those before I sit. Dude, you're going to die. <laughs> So a friend of mine sent me this. You're going to die. I mean, we're not telling me this. We're not on on TV, but this guy, a friend of mine sent me this and it's like, I don't know if it's titanium or what. You can make it through the airport with it, but this is for your out breath. Oh, so that's strawberry. That is. Yeah, it's a very sophisticated straw. I wear it around my neck and this has become a family joke, by the way. So this is just a little chain with a little half a straw that's titanium or something. I don't know what it is, but like the family joke now because my wife, my daughter, somebody will be there. We'll start talking about something like stressful going on in somebody's life. And I just pull this out <laughs> right in the, in the island in the kitchen. I'm like, <laughs> and everyone just starts laughing and it becomes a good little icebreaker. But it works, doesn't it? I mean, that's a good little. It does. Yeah, that's, it does. A, good, that's a good little thing. I'm making, but what you're making me think is that I should do more of it. I usually do made a minute or two, but perhaps I could really go for it and do five, six yeah. minutes. Because people who listen to the show, they may not meditate at all, or maybe they're telling themselves a story about how they're shitty meditators and they're only <laughs> doing it once in a while. Well, you're well, not a real meditator if you don't have that story well, going exactly, on in your head. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. I'm going to use that. Actually. That's really helpful. Um, for me, if I'm going for a longer sit, which I hope to do daily, The first 15, 20 minutes, you're clearing out the garbage before there's some level of stability. And I think what I'm hearing you say is actually, if you can do this breathing for a couple of minutes, this deep breathing, you drop in, to use your terminology, quicker. Yeah, 100%. And I learned this through doing work with veterans. And the Art of Living Foundation has a program called Project Welcome Home Troops. And they get veterans who have a lot of trauma. And those vets can't really sit there. They, they're not going to sit in the seat coming home with like real trauma and like figure it out. So they go through a series of deep breathing techniques 
like I've been through the workshop. They have three day, five day, whatever. And you spend two or three hours a day and you start just doing the deep breathing through the power breath workshop. And it's, you know, you pull your hands out into the nose, like 30 times slow, 30 times medium, 30 times fast. And then they settle in. And I've seen these vets go through this five days later, Dan, they're like, I don't want to say they're healed, but they're like 80% of the way there. They've processed the trauma. And I said, shit, what, what am I like screwing around for? Because I'd sit there for 15 minutes, like your mind's going nuts. You're like, talking to yourself, right? <laughs> Got a conference call going on in your head, a Zoom meeting. <laughs> but you do this breathing, and I don't know if it's, I, mean, I think part of it's got to be physiological, but it's also like one, two, three. So you're counting. Yes. So yes, you're, you're yes, getting your mind yes, to, kind yes, of focused. Yes. I think that's part of it, too. And then your nervous system, parasympathetic, and all that stuff that you've talked about, like, you just settle. And then, boom, then, like, 10, 15 minutes goes a long way after that. So you're doing your practice in the midst of the hurly-burly of a campaign. I'm wondering, like, what is the hardest psychological dynamic for you when you're locked in this kind of competition with another candidate? Is it managing maybe your personal feelings about the other person? Um, <laughs> is, it, is it being attacked? <laughs> what it's like to be attacked with not only by your opponent, but also by your opponent's allies and all this money that's pouring into the state to, to dismantle you? Is it fear of losing or is it all of it? Am I naming all the triggers? Yeah, pretty much all of the above. And I mean, part of it was like, I wasn't getting any help from Democrats either. So I'm like, I'm in this big fight. I've got this guy on the ropes. I can't get Democrats in D.C. to pay attention. So like abandonment issues. Mm. <laughs> but it wasn't quite that bad. But yeah, all the stuff, you know, and the Senate was hanging in the balance. So it was like a lot of like, man, we could either go with the insurrectionists or go with whatever. And you're going to like determine that one was. But I got to tell you, and I think part of this is my athletic background, but a lot of it has just been the meditation, the practice for the last 10 or 15 years. I knew I didn't have any control over that stuff. In the last couple of years, I've gotten like the stoicism and read all Ryan Holiday's books and follow him on Twitter and Daily Stoic. And it's just like, you only have control over what you have control over. And so I just kept coming back to that. And that kept me really in the zone for like the campaign because I just, I don't have control if Chuck Schumer wants to put $50 million in Ohio. I make my case, right? All I have control over is this stump speech that I'm giving now in front of 150 people in Dayton, Ohio. And am I going to move them so that they walk out of here and want to campaign for me? Am I touching them emotionally? Can I move them? Only way I can do that is if I'm here. And so that became a real discipline for me. Like as a personal development, regardless of politics and anything else, I develop more as a human being, being in the fire of having to be mentally disciplined to like not give in your ego. Not that I didn't, not worry about losing, not worry about winning, not worrying about the outcome, but just being in the moment. And it was tested under fire, but it does sharpen you. Like, you know, you oh, I want to be in the present moment. You're like, okay, have a bunch of people coming at you with stuff and try to stay in the present moment. And if you can do that, then you're pretty good to go. Yes, I believe it. Uh, it's not a scalable piece of advice to run for Senate. In a way to... <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> but it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. You know, you talked about stoicism, and it brought to mind 
By the way, I think we're trying to get Ryan Holiday on the show. Ryan Holiday, just for people who are not familiar with him, he has a newsletter and a social media feed called The Daily Stoic, and he's written a bunch of books about stoicism. Yeah. So hello, Ryan. Yeah. Um, the quote that was coming to mind for me was actually not from a stoic philosopher, but from a fellow politico. Years ago, I heard David Axelrod, who ran Obama's campaigns and worked in the White House, now a CNN contributor and a podcaster. I was in an off-the-record briefing with him in 2012, and somebody was asking him, like, how do you manage the stress of running the reelect for Barack Obama? And he said, all we can do is everything we can do. And I thought that was perfect. You do everything you, you yeah. can do, and that's all you can do. That's all you can do. Yeah. I mean, and he's, he's a Zen master, you know. I did a, a couple days at his institute in January and uh, went to Bulls game with them, which is like fun. It's one of those weird things that happen to you in life. You're like, I'm at a Chicago Bulls game with David Axelrod. I'm like, what happened? I don't, I don't know how this happened. But he's a total Zen master, and that's it. I think anybody you see performing at that level, running a presidential campaign, running for president, Tom Brady, Steph Curry the other night, LeBron last night, whatever, they're not worried about the fans cheering or not cheering or winning. They're in the moment. And if you're not doing that, you're not functioning at the highest level. And a lot about trash talking and stuff. And we're kind of the same age. So I periodically for like just kind of mind candy, I'll go back and I'll watch stuff about Larry Bird or like guys I grew up watching. And there was all this trash talking that Bird, they said he was the worst trash talker in the history of the NBA. <laughs> and it would be like John Sally and it would be like oh, Michael Cooper, all these guys. Like, he was the worst. He was the worst. It was a strategy. He'd get in your head. And he figured, like, if you're not mentally disciplined enough to handle my shit talking to you, then I'm going to get the edge. And so if you think people are screaming at Tom Brady, you know, across the line? Of course. Does he listen? Probably not. You know, just to kind of transfer this to the next step. So I'm out of office. And when you're home with your kid, you know, when your spouse is talking to you, when you're working on something else, are you able to then transfer from the battle to a calmer, more contented style of living than on a campaign bus in the middle of a campaign? To go from Mortal Kombat to playing with your son or just working out domestic issues with your wife, that strikes me as a very difficult transition. It is. <laughs> how, how, just ask my wife. How successful were <laughs> Where you? Where are you at, Tim? I'm like, I'm right here. You know you're not. Where you at? <laughs> yeah, no, because like you're in the combat, so your adrenaline's up and you're more easy to focus, but that's kind of the trick. And so like I tell myself, if you could do it during the campaign, you should offer that to your family and the work you're doing now. Coming up, Tim Ryan talks about what it's like to be outside of the D.C. fishbowl, the freedom that comes from not living under a microscope, and the kids' basketball game that made him realize that his life had truly changed. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. This is perhaps a bit idiosyncratic, but one of the experiences that my son, Alexander, loves is mini-golf. We recently went to a mini golf uh, themed restaurant in uh, in Denver where we were traveling. And uh, when we go to Montauk, which is our favorite beach town here on the East Coast, we play mini golf at Putt-Putt all the time. Alexander, his buddies, me. And in one way or another, these experiences are really what become the, the most memorable and important part about taking trips. 
Which brings me to Viator, which is a website and app where you can book travel experiences, everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. I have used Viator myself. I find it to be incredibly helpful. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash happier. Just go to Indeed.com slash happier right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash happier. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the campaign didn't go the way you wanted it to. How did you handle that for real? I know you gave gracious concession speech and you gave quite a rousing farewell speech on the floor of the House as you ended maybe your last term. Who knows? That's really up to you and the voters. The I don't want to I don't want to make, make that an asterisk. That's a big deal. The <laughs> they voters. do have a say. <laughs> yes. Uh, so you, you gave these great speeches, really great speeches. And I'm I'm wondering, like, how much you're willing to reveal about how it went down for you internally to have the race not go your way? Um, Stages of grief that honestly happened from the time I started realizing it wasn't going to work out that night, you know, to huddling up with my campaign manager, my media guy, Steve Schmidt's a buddy of mine. He was there on election night, did campaign with me, who did McCain's campaign, and he's on TV and whatever. But we were there and, like, just like, shit. Like, shit. You know, I said the F word about five times in a row out in the parking lot outside with my nephew. And and it was just, it, it was just like, shit. And then you got to call your opponent. <laughs> and, you know, the guy you've been wrestling with. But again, like from a sports perspective, you got to go shake the guy's hand. Like the game's over, he won. And Steve said to me, he said one thing. He said, do your duty. Hmm. He said, do your duty. He said, this is, a, this is an honor that you even can run. And he said, go do your duty. And that's when I went out and gave the speech. And then, you know, nobody, like my staff had a speech. I didn't even read it. It was just like off the cuff. But it was all like, do your duty. I'm grateful. I'm thankful. You know, and we all should be. And really, you know, and you, you, you'll understand this as a dad too. Like our two older kids were there. And then my eight-year-old was there. Brady was there. And he was just so upset. You know, it's like, Dad, you're not anything anymore. You're not a congressman. You're not a senator. I'm like, hold on, buddy. <laughs> like, I'm your dad still. I'm, you know, your mom's husband. 
But I said to myself, I have to show these kids more than anybody else in the world about how to handle democracies and none of that stuff. But this will be the moment that my kids will see me facing adversity, probably more so than anywhere else, because you block your kids from a lot of the stuff that you're dealing with, bills or death or whatever you can keep them from. Couldn't keep them from this. And so I wanted to make sure that I handled myself in a way that if I walked out of that venue and got hit by a bus, that these kids would have a lesson that my dad, when the chips were down, he handled himself with some class. And that's what really held me keep my stuff together up there because Brady was standing right there looking at me and I could see him out of the corner of my eye. And so trying to meet that moment really, you know, ended up, I was really proud of how I handled it, but not because it was what our country needed to hear. It was because my kids needed to hear and see. Well, I was proud of you for both, honestly. I do want to go back to Brady because my son's a year younger than yours, but kids of this age, actually probably kids at any age, have this knack of saying shit to their parents that is (laughs) deliberately or not totally devastating and totally accurate, you know? That's the problem. That's why it hurts so bad. (laughs) One time I was talking to my son and I said, made some annoying joke and he looked at me and said, I don't know how I've survived seven years of you. God. And I was laughing, but it's just like, he was kidding, but it's still, I mean, it's just like, whoa, really, whoa. Beautiful. But what Brady said was, you're not anything anymore. You're not a congressman. You're not a senator. And here you are, you know, I'm sitting with you in LA right now and, you know, you don't have staff with you, you know, thinking about how you're going to vote on the next bill. That stuff has, at least for now, gone away. And so that's an identity issue. I don't know if it's an identity crisis. How are you doing with that? Really good, honestly. And, you know, just kind of continue the joke. Like Brady was teasing me, I don't know, a month or two ago. He says, you're not even famous anymore. (laughs) So he says, so my wife starts laughing and we were traveling. I can't remember where we were. So we'd leave wherever we were and we go to the airport. And, you know, it was a big campaign, national coverage, all this. So I'm at the airport, Florida, or wherever we were. Somebody comes up, oh, Congressman Ryan, you ran a great race. I love you, blah, blah, blah. And I just look at Brady. (laughs) (laughs) And he looks at me, and he starts shaking his head. And he says, well, you're a little bit famous. (laughs) He puts his hands like this. So now anytime we're together, you know, you get like an inch or two. Anytime we're together and someone comes up to me, I just look at them. Just that's still a little bit famous, Um, but really good. Like it was weird because I spent my 30s and 40s in Congress, in elected office, running every two years, serving the public, responsive to the public, and then you know after the election. There's some panic of how you're going to make a living because on January 3rd, you like don't get paid anymore and you still got a mortgage and demands. And so that that was a little bit of the anxiety. Like I have this back issue that only flares up when I'm like in stressful situations. So my back started, but I'm like, shit, this is just like me worrying about like how I'm going to feed my family and kids and all that. And it didn't take long for me to pick up some stuff. But I started to realize like, I'm free. So I kind of got back into like Joseph Campbell, who was a huge influence on me growing up. And I would periodically every few years go back and watch The Power Myth with Bill Moyers. Like, great stuff. Means more to me today than it did 20 years ago. And he has a saying. He says, you got to let go of the life you had planned in order to have the life that's meant for you. Did he write that for me? 
<laughs> Did he write that for a 20-year congressman who lost the Senate race? Like, And so it was like, okay, you can't judge because how many times do you go through your life and you're like, that thing that hurt so bad or you thought was the end ended up being the beginning and ended up opening you up to all these new things. And so now I'm really enjoying like my freedom. So I went down the, this is just a, like a stupid example, but I was in Florida the other day and I was talking at a conference and there was like four hours between me speaking and uh, the dinner I had planned. Pack my bathing suit, right? So I, you know, go, I'm swimming in the ocean. And I thought to myself, if I was a member of Congress, I probably wouldn't have done this because right. someone's going to get a picture of me swimming in the ocean in a bathing suit. And aren't you supposed to be serving me in Congress? You know, like you can't take a vacation or anything like that. I'm swimming in the ocean. I was like, dang, that's pretty cool. I don't have to worry about that shit anymore. <laughs> like I can swim in the ocean when I want, when I'm like right by it, you know? And it's just those little things like that. You know, I picked the kid up from school, go to his practices. You'll laugh at this. So he plays eight-year-old basketball. This is about three weeks after the election. Swing election, big thing, debates, war and peace, blah, 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 you know? high profile. <laughs> and about three weeks later, I'm coaching his eight-year-old basketball team. And I'm sitting on the bench and I'm like deputy assistant to the assistant to the assistant of the basketball team. But I'm on the bench and I'm sitting there and my buddy of mine's the head coach. And for some reason, there's a bunch of bad calls, which is like bumper cars out there. It's like eight-year-old basketball, right? And so he gets up and he starts walking on the court and start screaming at the referee. And I'm just sitting here like I am now. I'm just like, my hands are folded and my legs are crossed. I'm just watching this whole thing. And he's going nuts. He gets a technical. The athletic director of the league, this is not eighth grade. This is eight year old. <laughs> athletic director of the league walks over and he's in her face now. And she tells him to sit down. He can't stand up. And he comes down and he sits next to me. And I'm thinking to myself, my life has changed a lot in like three weeks. <laughs> I got to calm this guy down. Like, dude, we're good. But it's like those kind of things. You're like, this is great. This is great. You said to me before we started rolling, you feel like you made a jailbreak. Yeah, no, I joke about it. Like it's a jailbreak. I escaped the hostage situation. It's a grind. I mean, it's a 24-hour day, seven day a week that I've did for 22 years. So there's a certain amount of freedom that you feel. And it doesn't mean to disrespect the job or the institution. It was an honor, and I, I loved every minute of it. But there's a point of liberation that psychologically you can't get because you're always, you know, I remember I was doing a writing retreat with Barry Boyce, who on uh, my second book, I think it was my second book, and we're in upstate New York at a friend of his house, and we were doing a writing retreat to write the book. My staff calls the house. I'm like, what? They're like, Osama bin Laden was killed last night. I'm like, Jesus <laughs> I mean, like, we had to go after him this week. <laughs> but it's like, that's the level of like, you can't, there's no, there's no breaking free. You know, you hear a lot of presidents talk about that. You're in a, you know, a gold plated jail. Unremitting, I can imagine. Um, well, the presidency is just, for sure, out of, uh, you know, insane. But even being a member of Congress, I was a local news reporter in Maine on the day that Bill Cohen served his last day in Senate. And and he said to me that what he's going to miss is that he's felt like he spent the last, whatever, 18 years, I think it was, uh, with his finger in a socket in a good way. It's like, you know, it's like that, that level yeah. of crackle and energy. Totally. And you're connected to the big events of the day. I can see how it would be exhausting and exhilarating at the same time. But let me ask you, and this is a, the least surprising thing I'm going to ask you, which is, do you have thoughts about whether you might want to jump back in the game at some time, or are you just like, I can't, it's too early? Yeah, maybe one day, not anytime soon. 
Like maybe one day, you know, I may have one more run left in me if the right race at the right time would have the right impact. Because that to me was what it was all about. How do you have impact? How do you make a difference? I always saw the job as trying to serve the public, but lead the public with the ideas that, you know, we've talked about, you know, writing a book on mindfulness meditation was not, you know, what a lot of people do. Why did I do it? Because in my experience, that is what can solve the problem. You know, I like that part of the public policy, like, let's talk about these ideas. And the system right now is not really aligned with new ideas. There's not really new ideas coming out of really either political party at this point. I mean, you talk about like psilocybin for healing trauma. You're talking about cannabinoids for healing all kinds of different things. You're talking about regenerative agriculture to sequester carbon and grow healthy food. You know, all of these things, like they're not really part of the conversation. In the panel I did this morning here at Milken on men and boys, like we've got a crisis with men and boys, but it's like, well, why are you talking about boys and not girls? It's like, wait, hold on. We can talk about both. And actually helping boys and men is actually probably really good for girls and women, too. Like I have a daughter. I want to make sure that there's men out there that know how to behave and earn a living and treat her well and all of that. But the nuance that it takes to like have these really informed and adult conversations to really solve our problems, not happening right now. And so I don't miss that part of it, like banging your head against the wall. No, people should do deep breathing instead of get on prescription drugs. Like maybe we should start there. Maybe you do need prescription drugs, but maybe you don't. Have you tried any of this other stuff that's free? <laughs> you know, before we... So I don't miss that. But if the opportunity at some point presented itself and and I owe my family big, it's been 10 years. Me and my wife have been married and she spent that entire time with two kids and three kids and two dogs and three dogs. And me, you know, I ran against Nancy Pelosi, ran for president, had a tough reelect in 2020 and then ran for Senate in 2022. And she's like, yeah, what do you think about taking a break? <laughs> I said, yeah, I owe you. Coming up, Tim talks about what the rough and tumble of politics has taught him about dealing with difficult people, something I can imagine you might struggle with as well. I had a very pleasant experience shopping on quince.com. Very easy to use website, and they've got a terrific selection. I bought myself a cashmere sweater and a sweatshirt. That sweatshirt in particular is an extremely heavy rotation. If you watch the YouTube version of this podcast, you will see it. Or if you see me on social media occasionally, I'm wearing my Quince sweatshirt. And I have to say, uh, the prices are hard to beat for a luxury brand. What's more, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash happier to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash happier. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Let me ask a macro question. We made uh, brief allusions earlier to managing what I would imagine to be some level of personal antipathy toward your opponent as you're running in this last race. Your opponent was J.D. Vance, who's now a U.S. Senator from Ohio. Many, if not most of us, deal with a certain amount of personal antipathy toward people with whom we disagree in an extremely polarized country right now. It's not as heightened probably as it is when you're running for Senate against an individual from the other party. But no matter where you sit, for most of us, it's hard to deal with the people we disagree with. So what advice do you have, given that you've been through the crucible here, on managing that? It's hard. I, for the most part, was able to not be personal, not feel personal animosity towards my opponent. I mean, it creeps in and it's there and I'm not going to lie about it. But for the most part, I feel like I kept it in check because it doesn't really get you anywhere. Now, it didn't prevent me from making the argument. Like you could make a dispassionate argument about why I'm better or why they're X, Y, or Z or why he's wrong and all of that stuff. And you don't need to pull any punches you know, I debated him face to face and called him out. I said to his face what I would say in my public speeches. I didn't pull any punches with him. And I would tell him, I was like, nothing personal, but <laughs> like, you know, X, Y, or Z. And I think being able to do that, it's a little easier, honestly, like in this environment, because I'd see him in two or three debates, right? Now, some of the people you're talking about, you may see him at work every day. That's more difficult than even running for the Senate. Now, you got to do it in cameras in public and have the stones to call people out in front of the world. And that's not easy either. But day to day, it's a little more tricky. It comes in a lot of foul tasting flavors because there may be somebody at the office who's really difficult to deal with. There may be somebody in your family who's really difficult to deal with who you're seeing on a day to day basis. But it may also just be disconnected names and potentially not even accurate uh, avatar pictures that you're dealing with on social media, or it could be somebody you're seeing on TV, or it could be a political figure who shows up on the news. And we're walking around in this era of tribal toxicity with, I think a lot of us are, antipathy toward these other people. And this is borne out in the poll numbers. You see in the surveys, people are like not cool with their children marrying somebody from the other party and things like that. And so you know, I have a few thoughts on this, but all of this is hard to manage, yeah. no matter what level we're talking yeah. about. No, it's difficult. And I don't know if it's going to get any better in the near term with an election coming up. But, you know, again, this is why your podcast, the work you're doing, like all of this stuff happening underneath the radar is really important and needs to grow. You know, your audience needs to double. You know, the art of living community needs to double. The, you know, John Kabat-Zinn world needs to double. Roshi Joan, like all, all of these teachers out there that are doing, we have to cultivate that and continue to try to grow that. That's a little more of a long-term play than a short-term fix. And, you know, part of what I would like to do a little bit post-Congress is how do we kind of build and unite these people, you know, the, the yoga community. Uh, the body practice community, the breath work community, the psilocybin community, like all of these different things are all trying to do the same thing. They're trying to heal trauma, which starts with an acknowledgement that there's trauma. And I think it could be helpful, I think, for people to look at this person you want to strangle 
and say, maybe some trauma there. You know, maybe I need to be a little bit more compassionate. Again, what do you have control over? Do you have control over them being an asshole? Or do you have control over your response to them being an asshole? The only thing you got control over is that, you know, and if you don't realize it, then it's just going to keep going. And I just think staying off of social media, not watching the news, not to be not be informed. You could check a couple articles out, keep yourself in the loop, but your blood pressure will go down. Take a week, do a, you know, media detox. I want to say some of this back to you because I think you've just given us a really important recipe you know, for how to stay sane in turbulent tribal times, especially as we're essentially in a presidential election right now, um, and it's only going to get more intense. What I'm hearing you say, and this is what I would say, is that it is possible, actually, it's really helpful to you to have compassion for people you find odious. And compassion does not mean you co-sign on their bad ideas. Compassion does not mean you invite them over for dinner. Compassion does not mean you don't speak out forcefully or volunteer or take firm action. It just means you're not burdened and blinded by rage in the midst of that process. Am I in the 100%. zone? 100%. I okay. mean, that's the Buddha, you know, hating someone's like drinking poison and hope it kills the other person. I mean, that's just as true today, and especially in this environment, as it ever has been. You can't hate somebody and think that you're going to be okay with that. You still have anxiety. You still hold that in your body. And if you don't realize that, you know, you're missing out on the opportunity to try to bring about some healing. And again, we got to heal. You know, Joseph Campbell is just rewatching one of his episodes. And it was like he was saying, like, people think they want to change the world by shifting it around. And he says, you change the world by coming alive. One vital person vitalizes. And that's how you change the world. Yeah. You come alive. So you being in this fight with this odious person, it's not going to get us anywhere. You being more compassionate adds to the compassion in the world. You being more sane adds to more sanity in the world. And so you've elevated the whole thing by not doing the average act. You do the radical, as John Kabat-Zinn used to say. I remember the first retreat I went on. He said, this sitting here is a radical act. You know, the world's going nuts. And so sitting and being quiet, you want to be a radical, that's being a radical. I loved it. I was like, that resonated with me to the point where 15 years later, I still remember it. You know, we need a bunch of radicals. And what's different than what's going on in the world? There's a bunch of noise. We need silence. A bunch of anxiety and fighting. You bring calm. But again, it's not like you can't get in a fight or have an argument. It's not like you put your sword down and just give up. I used to joke on the campaign trail all the time. Uh, as an Irish guy, I said the the old Irish saying, "Is this a private fighter? Can anyone get into it?" <laughs> you know, and it's like I don't mind that part of it. That's kind of the like the back and forth. I like that, but without the hate, without the yeah. all the other yes accoutrements. Yes. Another thing you said while giving us a recipe for being little nodes of sanity in the midst of this, you know, howling sea of tribalism and mistrust and misinformation. Another thing you said that I think is really helpful, and I just want to hang a lantern on it here, is that perfection is not on offer. Like, you you described yourself as being, you know, generally able to not fall victim to personal animosity. But, yeah, there were a few times where oh, it did happen. Yeah, 100%. And, and so we don't need to be monks here. Yeah. We And even monks screw up, but we don't yeah. have to be perfectly enlightened beings. Right. We just do our best. Right. Do the best you can. It's just like we were teasing about meditators. I'm a terrible meditator. It's like, well, yeah, that's going to be one of the first 
435 thoughts you have in your head when you start meditating. Like, I'm really bad at this, you know? And you like, and then you learn how to let that stuff go. And it's, that's why this practice is so foundational to us moving into a new era of the country is because you have the thoughts, I want to choke this guy. They're so wrong. They're bad people. In some instances, they are probably definitely wrong and probably definitely bad people. <laughs> but like now you're engaged with them, you know? I went on, I went, I did a retreat with uh, Sylvia Borstein and it was a loving kindness retreat. This is many, many, many years ago. And she said something that really stuck with me. And she said, when you're in a fight with somebody, you're in a fight. Like, don't be in a fight. Why are you in a fight? Don't get in a fight. You know? <laughs> when you're in a fight, you're in a fight. And all that that brings... Now I'm now the ego's involved. Now I got to win the fight. Now I got to do anything I can. Now I got to say bad things about it. And it just goes on and on. Don't get in a fight. You don't have to. Make your points. Take your stand. Go organize. Go knock on doors. Pick your favorite candidate. But do it with a little bit less emotion and a little more like calmness and in like Who's persuaded by someone who's losing their fucking mind? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, Actually, some people are. Right? Yeah. The other yeah. way. No, no, I actually think some people are, unfortunately, in my opinion, uh, now I'm being a little political myself, yeah. I think there are people who are demonstrably losing their mind who appear to have a lot of followers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess you're right. I'm wrong. See that? <laughs> See how this works? <laughs> That's why I kind of learned something here. But I think when you're talking, about, I'm thinking about like the guy at work. Yes, right. In, interpersonally, and, I think it's less. Yeah, less, I think yeah. the guy, you know, the guy at work and this like, you're freaking out, man. What are you freaking out at work? And you want me to like be with you? You're nuts. You know, but if you're like, obviously some of these guys, Andrew Tate and these other guys who have these huge followings. Yeah. yeah, I hate to say it, Dan, but you're right. <laughs> I hate to be on the receiving end of your Twitter at replies after the end of the day. Yeah, sorry about that. You can delete that out. <laughs> I haven't seen you in a little while. It's so nice to see you again. Yeah, uh, It's thanks. such a pleasure, to, really, yeah. to sit here with you. Is there something I should have asked or some point that you would have liked to have had a chance to make that I didn't give you a chance to make? I don't think so. The only thing I would say is, and, and from my personal experience and others who may be going through something similar, and it was kind of related to the quote that I said with about Campbell, it's like you get into a mode, you get into a career path that is rewarding and all the privileges and you know honors that would come with something like being a member of Congress at the highest level. But you think that's all you are. Like you identify, I'm sure athletes go through the same thing when they're like, I'm an athlete and the people are cheering and then it's over. And it's just like, you got to like figure out how to let this go. You know, Bono talks a lot about surrender, surrender, surrender. A lot of these prayers from different religions, surrender, surrender. You have to surrender to that to open up all of these new things. And you really have to see the impermanence in the world because nothing's going to last forever. And like using those as ways to help our kids because we're at the Milken Conference and they're talking about all of these different things and they're talking about AI and like all of these changes that are coming that are almost out of our control. So really to be teaching this idea of the only thing that's permanent is impermanence, and in trying to model that somewhat, and you did it with your career, 
right? You let that go. You had prestige. You had a title. You were on TV. You were famous, you know, not so famous anymore, but you, <laughs> you were famous. And, and you, you were able to gracefully, like, build this whole other thing, right? And you could look back and you're like, that was just like a stepping stone to, like, all this great work that you're doing now. And I think there's an element of grace to that we need because the changes are coming and you see how people, when they don't handle change very well, it gets ugly. And again, it's not that you don't fight for and try to push for the kind of change you want, but it's got to be just grace, just a little bit of, little bit of grace in the world, I think, would be the one thing that I would like to encourage people as they're going through some of these tough times that seem tough. There's hope. If you keep at it with a good attitude and you work hard, you get your break. And then you'll look back on that moment of so much angst and be like, dang, that was the pivot to the next life. Well said. Thank you, buddy. You got my vote. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, thanks, for, thanks for doing yeah, that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great. Thanks again to Tim. Thanks to you for listening. I genuinely appreciate you listening. If you want to do me a solid, go leave a rating or a review. That actually helps us with the various algorithms that run all of our lives. And finally, I want to thank most sincerely the people who work incredibly hard on this show. 10% Happier is produced by Gabrielle Zuckerman, Justine Davey, Lauren Smith, and Tara Anderson. DJ Cashmere is our senior producer. Marissa Schneiderman is our senior editor. And Kimmy Regler is our executive producer. We get our scoring and mixing from Peter Bonaventure over at Ultraviolet Audio. And our theme music was written by Nick Thorburn of the band Islands. We'll see you all on Monday for a week of deep cut out of the archive episodes with Kristen Neff and Malcolm Gladwell. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now ad-free on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi. 
I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show, The Swan. The problem, this dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.